the book of Philemon. We'll read the entire chapter, starting verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also, also to Epiphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow shot soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Just because something is small doesn't mean that it's easy to understand. You know that with technology. You know that with tiny instructions when you come to build something. Uh, many of us know that if you've had a baby. Just because something is small doesn't mean that it's easy to understand. And the same is true of the book of Philemon. It's short, but that doesn't mean it's easy to understand. Not least because Paul doesn't come straight out and explain exactly what's happened and exactly what needs to happen. He's persuasive instead of directive. And he's not um, exhaustive. He, he's selective, too, in, in what he says. He, he doesn't address everything that we might want him to say or everything that we would like him to have said about this situation. And given all of the differences between Philemon's day and ours, even though this letter is small, 
you can be left wondering, what's the big idea? So let's be very clear this evening. The big idea of Philemon is forgiveness. Real life, up close and personal, forgiveness. And as we look at the three men who are at the heart of this letter, Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon, and we're all going to pronounce things differently. Um, my girls had fun this week where I mistakenly said Onesiphorus, as though it was a dinosaur that's suddenly been discovered somewhere. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, each of them show us that forgiveness requires sacrifice. Now, theologically, that all sounds very simple because the vast majority of us are Christians and everything we believe is based upon forgiveness through sacrifice. We're thinking not just this morning but for a number of weeks in the Gospel of John about what it means for us to know that we have been forgiven because the God of heaven sent his one and only son into the world to bear upon the cross all of the sin and punishment for every man, woman, boy and girl who will love and trust him so that we can be forgiven. Theologically, forgiveness requires sacrifice is a very easy thing to say. Practically, putting forgiveness that we've received from God into practice horizontally with one another is really hard. It's really, really hard. It's hard because in all of our relationships, we struggle with how much we have been sinned against. And our own hearts can struggle with a desire to forgive. And it's into all of that complexity that this letter not only shows us what forgiveness looks like, but encourages us with the truth that we do not forgive one another on our own. And to see that, I thought it would be helpful this evening to look at three profiles for each of these men. And what they show us of how forgiveness requires sacrifice. And we're going to begin with Onesimus, because he's, in one sense, right at the heart of this letter. And the question we need to think about with Onesimus is, do I need forgiveness like Onesimus? Which is a good question to ask, and not that easy a question to answer, because Paul doesn't tell us exactly what Onesimus has done. So we need to piece together as best we can from this letter. Verse 16, we learn that he was Philemon's slave. And while he worked for Philemon, verse 11 tells us that he wasn't hardworking, which is a kind way of putting it. Uh, Onesimus means useful, and very often names would be given two people in the hope that they would aspire to and come to live out their name. Well, Onesimus was indeed useless as a slave when he worked for Philemon until everything wonderfully changed. But we don't get any more detail than that. We don't know why he was in trouble, but he is in trouble. Verse 18, he has done something wrong. Whether that's just, and I mean just in brackets because it's still a serious thing, just running away, which presents a problem for Philemon because now he's got stuff that Onesimus was doing and he's now got to pay somebody else to do that. So now there's this debt outstanding and a slave who's run. Or whether he also stole something before he legged it, we don't know. But what we know is, in the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day, 
Onesimus was in serious trouble. And in God's amazing providence, in verse 10, he finds Paul when Paul was under house arrest. We don't know exactly whether Paul was in Rome or Ephesus. We don't know whether Onesimus went out searching for Paul or whether God in his great kindness brought the two of them together. But what we know is that in verse 10, everything changes for Onesimus. Through Paul, Onesimus hears the gospel. And his life is changed forever. We have this wonderful description of a slave being freed. Not from Philemon, that's a story yet to be completed. But Onesimus hears that it is possible for him, as it is possible for all of us who are born slaves to sin, to be freed from our sin and become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has gripped Onesimus' heart by God's grace and his whole life has now been changed. But the fact that Onesimus has become a Christian doesn't just wash away everything that had happened with Philemon. That's not how forgiveness works. Onesimus had sinned against Philemon and he needed to go back and ask for forgiveness. And that would have been a big sacrifice for Onesimus. We don't know his background before he was with Philemon, but for this window, since he left until he came to find Paul, he'd had some experience of freedom. Nobody was telling him what to do. Then, verse 11, he becomes a Christian through Paul, and now he's choosing to use that freedom to serve Paul. In fact, in verse 13, Paul tells Philemon that Onesimus has almost taken on Philemon's role in helping Paul out. That's how significant a role he's done, but he can't do that any longer. Paul knows that there are now two brothers who have an outstanding issue between them. And Onesimus has to go back to address that. Now, many of you, myself included, can relate to how Onesimus would have felt in this moment. Perhaps you have a story from school where you were found out for doing something against somebody that you shouldn't have done. You were summoned to the head's office and in fear and trepidation received the telling off that you needed to receive. And at the end of it, were told by the head that you needed to go to the person that you had wronged and ask them, they might not have said to forgive you, but certainly to say sorry. And that walk from the head's office to the classroom or the playground or wherever you needed to go was a walk you don't forget. You just feel small. You feel anxious. You don't know what's going to happen when you speak to the other person. That, that's Onesimus. He's carried this letter from Paul to Philemon's door. He's now standing in the doorway, holding onto this letter face to face with his former employer. And Onesimus has got no bargaining power. You don't when you're asking for forgiveness. You come empty-handed knowing, in Onesimus' case, that he didn't have any way of repaying this debt. He didn't have anything to offer Philemon in that sense. He is simply there, legally speaking, knowing he deserves to be punished, asking to be forgiven. 
Now, Onesimus would have found that hard as a human being, just as we find that hard. But this is now happening at a point in Onesimus' life when he's experienced something greater that has changed the way he will experience that meeting however many times it has to happen in the rest of his life. Onesimus has come face to face, spiritually speaking, by faith, not just to his former employer, but to his creator. He's stood before the God of heaven and earth knowing he hasn't got anything to bring. He is completely guilty. And yet through the forgiveness of the God of heaven and earth, Onesimus has received grace and pardon that he had no entitlement to receive. So now his identity has been built upon something bigger than what happens next. Yes, humanly speaking, he'd have had that anxiety about what Philemon would have said, but that wasn't the anchor point for his entire life. Philemon knew his identity was rooted in the fact that without ever deserving it, he'd received forgiveness from God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness requires sacrifice, but it wasn't only Onesimus who was learning that. Paul was being reminded of that too. Not because... He needed to be forgiven, but because encouraging people to pursue forgiveness requires sacrifice. That's our second question. Do I need to encourage forgiveness like Paul? And we see something of Paul's sacrifice in the way that he describes his affection for Onesimus. In verse 10, he describes Onesimus' conversion as being like he became a father to him. The Greek's a bit tricky. It's talking about how um, Paul begat Onesimus. So in that sense, the ownership is on, on Paul in a sense, that by sharing the gospel with him, he's brought this man into saving faith as a brother in Christ. But Paul's a spiritual elder here, so there's that oversight, that responsibility, that loving fatherly nature that brings Onesimus right into his heart. And, and since his conversion, everything about Onesimus has changed. The man who should have been useful, that was his name, verse 11, now has become useful to Paul. And better than just like functional efficiency, verse 13, he's taking Philemon's place in helping Paul. So much so, verse 16, he's become very dear to Paul. In fact, Paul says, verse 12, he's Paul's very heart. It's one of the lovely little we could sometimes talk about trophies of grace, don't we? It's a bit of a Christian phrase, but you know what I mean? You know, trophy, symbol, a reminder of grace. Nothing to do with us. God's grace. This is a trophy of grace. You've got a runaway slave who is probably a thief who is now the very heart of the Apostle Paul. That's the gospel. And here we have this wonderful reminder of the love from Paul to Onesimus and Onesimus to Paul. Which means... For Paul to say to Onesimus, you need to go back. He's sending away a piece of his heart in his own language. But there's more for us to learn from Paul's example here because Paul shows us how to help people pursue forgiveness. Sometimes that requires a really direct and bold approach. 
And if you've read the rest of Paul's letters, you think especially of the letters to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, think of his ministry in Acts. There are many, many occasions where Paul is very happy being very, very direct. And sometimes that's what's needed. But other times, encouraging forgiveness requires patience and tact. Forgiveness isn't about making a person just do one thing. So as long as you make them say or do or give that one thing, job done. Forgiveness is about helping people see how their hearts need to change. And doing that takes time. Sometimes we need to help people see that whatever they might want to happen, whatever legally speaking they might be entitled to happen, forgiveness requires sacrifice, and that's costly. So Paul doesn't play an authority card with Philemon. He tells him in verse 8, I'm not going to command you, I'm not going to order you to do this because commands rarely change the heart. And heart change is what Paul is after in Philemon's case. Instead, he's going to appeal to him. And it does in at least three ways. Firstly, verse 9, on the basis of love. If you go back to verses 5 and 7, where Andy um, opened up the first half of the book to us last week, Philemon was known to be a godly man of love. He embodied the, the teaching of Jesus in, in John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. By this, others will know that you are my disciples in the way you love one another. And here's Philemon. Everybody can see how this man, who's probably the pastor of this small church in his house, loves fellow Christians. He's embodying love. Not because other people deserved it. Not because if he loved them, they'd love him in the same way. He's loving people because he's received from God a love he didn't deserve. And that love has captivated his heart. That love is what then flows out to other people. And Paul encourages Philemon to love Onesimus in the same way. First appeal is the basis of love. The second appeal is the basis of his circumstances. In verse 9, Paul's an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And you could read that and say, well, Paul's hoping to play a sympathy card. He's an old man and he needs some help. But I don't think that's the way that Paul's referring to himself. You think of the other times that Paul has been in prison as a consequence of the gospel. He doesn't refer to it as a situation of desperation and despair in which he desperately needs help. He's an ambassador for Christ in chains. He was in prison. What does he do? He shares the gospel with the prisoners, with the prison guard, with everybody because he knows that God is sovereign over all of that. So you, you get in Ephesians 6, he talks about himself as an ambassador in chains. You've got Peter and the other disciples who share that same idea that Paul would have had that when they were arrested for being faithful to the gospel... They rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus' name. I don't think it's pity Paul's looking for. I think it's perspective. Picture the moment when Onesimus comes to Philemon's door. Philemon opens the door, and there in front of him is his former still but has been absent slave who's done something wrong 
the first thing that is going to come into Philemon's mind is everything that Onesimus has done. But then what happens? How do our brains work? That becomes the thing we fixate on. It becomes all-consuming in the way that we think about that person because that is what they've done. And I think what Paul is trying to do here is help Philemon have a bigger perspective. He's not belittling. He's not undermining. He's not dismissing what Onesimus has done. He's willing to send Onesimus back because it's so important he needs to receive forgiveness. But he wants to give Philemon that bigger perspective of other things that are happening so that he doesn't get fixated on this historical struggle. So Paul appears, appeals on the basis of love. He appeals on the basis of his circumstances. Thirdly, he appeals on the basis of his partnership with Philemon. We saw that last week in verse 6. We see it again this week in verse 17. Paul wants to remind Philemon of all the things that go on in the course of Philemon's week. Fundamentally, they are both freed slaves to sin. And that grace that has enabled both Paul and Philemon to be that, that has united them together as partners in the gospel, which means that their big concern isn't amassing reputation or money or houses or qualifications or any of the other things that are good to pursue to an extent that enable us to serve God and bring him glory through them. The thing that matters most is that they are brothers partnering together with the privilege of sharing the hope of the message of Jesus Christ with every man, woman, boy, and girl they can. That's the big perspective that he wants Philemon to remember. Love, perspective, and partnership. That's the foundation that Paul is going to plead with, not command, plead with. And on that foundation, Paul presents his request to Philemon. And there are at least three stages to this. In verses 13 and 14, Paul recognizes Philemon's position. Paul's really honest about how much he loves Onesimus, about how important Onesimus is to his ministry, to just keeping him going because he's a man under house arrest. He's an older man. But, verse 14, even though he would have loved to hold on to him, I did not want to do anything without your consent. Paul didn't presume. He didn't play the, I'm in full-time Christian ministry, I can just do whatever I want. He didn't play the, I'm an apostle, you're not. I'm going to summon unilaterally one of your best people in order to come and work for me. He recognized Philemon's position and he sends Onesimus back so that if there can be a gift from Philemon of Onesimus to Paul's ministry, it comes from Philemon's heart. And it's something that he longs to do as a gift out of the grace of forgiving him. Next, Paul points Philemon to spiritual realities. Humanly speaking, there's a lot of history between Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus has wronged Philemon. He's run away, but that is not all that's going on. Because if you look in verse 15, Paul describes Onesimus' running away as him being separated from you for a little while. Which is an interesting way of describing it, isn't it? When you think that Onesimus is the one who actively left. I think what Paul's 
reminding us of is that even in this mess, God is sovereignly at work. That's why it's being separated from you. And we know that God's at work because God brings Onesimus to Paul so that he can become saved and then can be sent back. And because of that, Onesimus is no longer just Philemon's slave. He's better than a slave. He's a dear brother. Regardless of any other situations in their lives, both men were not only made in the image of God, but have been redeemed by the blood of God in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So yeah, there were difficulties they had to work through. Sinful people will always have difficulties they need to work through in a sinful world. And it's really important that we're realistic about that in the church family. You don't become Christians and expect everything simply to be wonderful forevermore. We have to graciously work through lots of things because we are saved sinners waiting that wonderful future glorification. But what united these men in their salvation was infinitely greater than anything that they may have disagreed about. That changed the way Philemon needed to think about Onesimus. That's what Paul's emphasizing at the end of verse 16. Not only is Onesimus a dear brother in the Lord, but he's also a dear brother, now the NIV has got it translated as a fellow man. Literally, it's in the flesh. So he's a brother in the Lord, and he's a brother in the flesh. It's a really odd thing to add when you think about it. Because if he's a brother in the Lord, that's everything. (laughs) If you're in Christ, there is no sphere of existence. There's no part of your life. There is no privacy in your life. There is no circumstance in your employment or in any geographical place you could ever go where you're not in Christ. So here, and this is the only place in all of the New Testament where Paul refers to somebody being a a brother in the Lord and in the flesh. Here, he must be making a specific point. Gently, but clearly, Paul is saying that Onesimus' new identity as a Christian needed to change the way Philemon thought about their human, their earthly relationship. Long before Wilberforce, long before the civil rights movement, Paul is showing Philemon that it is inherently wrong to own someone you call a dear brother. It's going to be the bedrock to that foundation of Paul's teaching that pulls the rug out of any form of slavery. He taught the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. A really key part in Paul's argument to encourage Philemon to forgive is that he would fix his eyes on that spiritual reality. And then thirdly, Paul promises to cover Philemon's losses. Look in verses 18 and 19. Paul just says, look, whatever Onesimus owes you, I'll pay it. There's no limit here. (laughs) There's just whatever it is, charge it to me. You might even call it an undertaking. When I used to work as a lawyer, undertakings were the kind of things that made you a little jittery. Because an undertaking, if, if a firm of lawyers write to you and say, we will do or we will pay this, 
the whole firm is on the hook. So the practice in our firm was, if there's any, any fee earner, solicitor, or paralegal, who needs to give an undertaking, give a promise to do something or pay something, you would always, always make sure a partner signed off that letter or email before you hit send. Because then it was the partner's responsibility to make sure that you weren't going to breach your professional indemnity insurance or you, or you were in control of what it was that you were promising to do. Now, Paul's not as cautious as that. There's no limitation. There's no, let me just check that I've got enough to cover this. There's no, I just need to be sure that he's really guilty or that, there's none of that. There's just whatever he owes you, charge it to me. Which is a real and genuine offer. But Paul knows that it was a very small debt in the context of eternity. Verse 17, I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Which isn't emotional blackmail from the apostle. This isn't him trying to twist Philemon to do what he wants him to do. It is him reminding Philemon of what is eternally important. Were it not for God using Paul to share the hope of the gospel with Philemon, Philemon would still be waiting for his own eternal judgment. And what Paul is saying is no earthly debt outweighs eternal destruction. So if you've already been forgiven this, don't forget it when you come back to this debt. It's what we can learn from Paul's example in encouraging forgiveness. And as I have read and prayed over this passage during the course of this week, I have been really humbled by how hard it is to encourage people to forgive each other and, and myself to be encouraged to forgive others. Most of us are very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. We know when Jesus taught his disciples and the crowds in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. All of us would want to be peacemakers who encourage forgiveness. But it's not easy. We need to pray for each other. That God would give us wisdom from above. That he would give us courage to know how to speak. That we would know what we are to lovingly, gently, tactfully approach and what we need to be bolder in. And that then leaves us with Philemon who makes us ask the question, do I need to forgive? Like Philemon. And given everything that we have looked at already, we know it wouldn't be easy for Philemon to forgive. He's genuinely been sinned against. There is a cost that needs to be borne by somebody for whatever it was that Onesimus has done. But, but there's Onesimus. He's standing at his door. Philemon's household, his neighbors, who would have all known Philemon, they see him. They know what he's done. And now they're looking at Philemon. And if you look back through this brief letter, Philemon needs to do at least four things, very briefly. Firstly, forgiveness means trusting people who've broken your trust. When Onesimus was with Philemon, Paul fairly describes him as being useless. He broke his trust. Now he's sent him back because Paul is saying he is useful and he has come 
to seek forgiveness. Secondly, forgiveness means emotionally reinvesting in people who've hurt us. That's what's so significant about verse 17. And verse 17, in the context of the whole letter, this is the one plea that Paul specifically makes of Philemon. He doesn't just ask him to welcome Onesimus back. That would be hard in itself. He says, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. The finish line for Philemon isn't just to get his relationship with Onesimus back on the even kill it was in beforehand. It's that Philemon would welcome him back with the kind of joy and love and excitement with which he would welcome the Apostle Paul. That doesn't mean we're to be naive. There may be sin struggles, sin patterns in the past that mean we need to be really wise about how we welcome somebody back in for their sake as well as for ours. But forgiveness means emotionally reinvesting in the people who've hurt us. Thirdly, forgiveness means letting the gospel reshape everything. That's what verses 16 and 20 are all about. That's what these repeated references are to being in Christ and in the Lord and in the flesh. All of that is reminding us of those spiritual realities that are to reshape the way we think about everything. And fourthly, forgiveness means we are to strive to bless others, even in our own struggle. That's what Paul's saying in verse 20. He's reminding Philemon, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Fellowship brings obligation to one another. Philemon had this reputation, we saw it last week, didn't we, in verse 7, of refreshing the hearts of the Lord's people. And now Paul is saying, I want you to forgive Onesimus in such a way that not only will it refresh your own heart, as you experience afresh the privilege of being able to forgive someone else in the way that you have been forgiven by your father. But I want you to do it because seeing the gospel at work in that way will not only refresh Onesimus, even however many miles away it was, it would refresh Paul. And 2,000 years later, it would refresh you and me. To know that this kind of forgiveness is being lived out by the grace of God. Now, if you look at that list, Philemon couldn't possibly have done those four things by himself. No human being can. But God doesn't leave us on our own. That's what this lovely benediction at the end of verse 25 reminds us of. In one sense, it's just a normal grace benediction and a way that Paul would so often end his letter. But What does it mean in the context of Philemon? A man who is facing the the weight, the sacrifice of forgiveness, suddenly seeing how hard it is to forgive. And what is he reminded? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There are limits to our ability to forgive one another. But there are no limits to the grace of God. The grace that would see the eternal Son of God willingly 
step out of the glory that is his in heaven and has been for all eternity to live in our world, to live the life we couldn't and die the death we deserved so that our sin could be paid for forever, so that we could know forgiveness through sacrifice. And that grace is what is at work in us, enabling us to forgive one another. Which is why God calls us to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave